Welcome back, everyone. Dr. B here. Again, another episode of Ask the Dentist. So today I just kind of wanted to, I guess the word is rant. <laughs> I just wanted to review with everyone because I'm getting a lot of questions. So this, I'm answering a series of questions I've been getting on Instagram about cavities, about demineralization and remineralization. These are two states that occur every day in your mouth. And what is the context to getting a cavity or never having cavities? Yes, there are a few of us that never get cavities. So I just wanted to explain that we're going to talk about the Stefan curve. We're going to talk about this equilibrium of demineralization. That's the tooth losing calcium heading towards getting a cavity and then remineralizing the act or the state of remineralization. How does that all occur and why is that occurring? Why is that needed? What are cavities? I just kind of wanted to go over that because I think it's a ubiquitous chronic disease and we take it for granted. Even dentists take it for granted. It's our number one procedure, filling holes in the teeth. And it's good for business, but there is a new way of looking at this disease. And yes, we are talking about a disease state. And so I want to clarify all of that, give you some more details, some more context on how we should be looking at cavities. So let's start with the history of dentistry. We have a long history of just surgically fixing holes in teeth, fixing dental cavities. That's kind of how we've been doing it for a long time. And essentially what we're doing there is we're treating a symptom, just treating the symptom, the hole in the tooth. And again, we've gotten very good at it. We've used to use metal fillings in, you know, with mercury. That wasn't so great. Now we've come up with some very nice looking, very aesthetic, pretty safe, at least safer than the metal fillings, uh, composite fillings. And we can pick colors. We can shape it. We can give it a sheen and a little curly wave to it, just like normal enamel structure is in nature. So it's a wonderful thing being a dentist to be able to do that. Someone comes in, they've got cavities at the base of their teeth near the gums, or they're in pain and they have cavities in between the teeth. This is a wonderful thing for a dentist to be able to do. It is almost immediate gratification for the dentist, for the patient. And it is a procedure though. It is a surgical procedure. But what's led to this cycle of re-restoration Yes, it is a cycle of restoration. In other words, every time you get a cavity, you get a restoration. But that restoration, that filling, only lasts for 10, 15, 20 years. And then you have to have it re-restored or restored. And just treating symptoms kind of has led to this cycle of re-restoration. It's kind of a tunnel vision. And if we don't see it for what it is, a disease then we will continue doing this and you will continue seeing it as just a rite of passage. It's bound to happen to you or to your kids. And it's like getting the flu. It shouldn't be that way. And I hope by discussing this, you'll see it differently. So caries, that's the dental word for cavity formation or cavities. Cavities, it's a disease process and it's not just or shouldn't be looked at as the end point of a disease. It is still the number one disease on the planet. Back in 1945, after we were filling fillings for hundreds of years, we thought fluoride would take care of this. We put fluoride in the water. I'm not going to talk about fluoride in this episode. That's several episodes of discussion, and you pretty much know how I feel about fluoride in the water. But cavities did not go away. Again, still after that, the number one disease on the planet. And putting fluoride in the water was more 
of a thinking or, or process of thinking that we would prevent or able to remineralize these small cavities or prevent them to begin with. So we were still kind of treating the symptom. We really didn't understand what the caries process was. And now, of course, as functional dentists do, we talk about it not just at, as an endpoint of disease. It's a metabolic disease. Uh, we now think of it as a disease process. And if we think that way, we understand that it is a disease, then we have a better chance of helping you, the patient, preventing it from happening to begin with. Like any other disease, whether it's diabetes or cancer, heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. So one last thing before we get into specifics, the next thing up will be the Stefan curve. That's kind of a cool thing to discuss. I just really want to give you an understanding between demineralization and remineralization. Understanding that equilibrium, that little seesaw equilibrium that occurs in your mouth after every meal, after every dehydration event, every time your pH saliva drops, it could be you went out for an exercise, a very long run, and you were doing a lot of mouth breathing, anything like that. Understanding what happens and how that equilibrium works is the key, is absolutely, and again, this is a functional way of looking at it, is the key to managing cavities. Caries management is what we call it in dentistry. And if you understand that as a practitioner, but certainly as a listener, if you have a mouth, if you have teeth, this is something you need to understand because it allows you to modify your environment and your behavior so that you won't get cavities. And that's the beauty of thinking this way. Thinking upstream in the care model, why not never get cavities? And it is possible today, even given our terrible, very toxic environment and also our diet our food system, which is really the root for a lot of problems in oral health, certainly cavities. So anyway, so that's kind of where I'm going with this. We're going to talk about the Stefan curve, and then I'm going to explain to you how, without too much detail, I want to keep it simple, how demineralization and remineralization works in your mouth to give you an idea of what can I do to stop getting cavities. All right, so let's get to the Stefan curve. I'm probably bringing it up a little too soon, but I'd rather do it in this order because when I define how a cavity forms, demineralization, how it can reverse remineralization, when I define that whole equilibrium, I think with your knowledge or knowing about the Stefan curve, it'll mean more to you. You'll get it right away. You'll understand how often you eat and what you eat is is important. So the Stefan curve has been around for a long time, 1943, named after Robert Stefan. It's essentially a graph that shows the fall in pH below a critical level. I love that word, critical. Think red alert. Critical meaning a very dangerous point in terms of level of pH. And that critical pH, and we're speaking of enamel, it's a little bit higher for dentin, and I'll explain that a little bit later. But that critical pH is a pH of 5.5. And this is when demineralization occurs of enamel following the intake of goldfish, candies, bread, fermentable carbohydrates, anything in a bag that like a potato chip that's been processed and broken down. Acidic liquids can do it as well. And of course, sugar, one of the most highly refined fermentable carbohydrates on the planet. So, and this all happens. And when the acidogenic bacteria of the oral microbiome see it. These are bugs that, and pretty much all bacteria are acidogenic, 
to some degree, when they consume this food and they can consume it readily because it's been processed, it's been made much easier for them to break down and consume and they can consume more of it. Their excrement from that metabolic process of consuming food, processing it is a excrement that is low in pH. They are creating and excreting that acid attack. And that is when the tooth starts forming cavities. So anyway, that is the critical pH. And the way the graph reads, I have it here in front of me, it reads from the left to the right, left being, let's say here it's 12 a.m., but it could be 7 a.m. And there's a red line at the pH level of 5.5 that runs from the left to right. So we're comparing the pH during the day as the day progresses at any time of the day. And we're comparing it to meals. So you'll see the line starts off at just above seven. That's typically a normal pH in the mouth, which is very neutral. That would be expected. That's the pH of blood and interstitial fluids. It's all around there. That's when the body functions at its optimal. There are kind of variances to that, of course, but they're transient. So anyway, we'll start off with a pH of 7.2. Then comes breakfast. The line drops. It drops to below 4.5. It depends on what you have for breakfast. If you didn't have breakfast, it wouldn't drop below that critical pH. If you do have breakfast and it's a bowl of Cheerios, it's going to drop to well below that critical pH of where the tooth starts dissolving. And then the pH starts going up again and it neutralizes back to seven. Then comes a snack, then comes lunch, then comes a soda, you know, or even a kombucha, and then comes dinner. And you always see these drops below that critical pH. So if you're snacking all day and you're eating a lot of meals, the demineralization phase is very, very active throughout the day. It's very difficult for the tooth to recover after the pH stabilizes. You could have a snack before you go to bed. And then, of course, during the evening, I mean, the beginning of your sleep cycle, as long as you've got a good stable pH, your mouth isn't open all night, and you're well hydrated, the pH will remain pretty stable, even though your saliva glands shut down in very deep sleep. If your mouth is open, you're going to have a very dry mouth, and that pH could drop into the critical zone at night. You could literally be creating cavities at night by sleeping with your mouth open. So that's the Stefan curve. We'll probably come back to that, but I want you to see that curve. And remember, if you're an intermittent faster and if you don't snack a lot, and if you eat like at your first meals at lunch, maybe at 11 o'clock or even a late breakfast and you're eating a sausage with an egg, you're not going to drop below that critical pH, not with protein, not with a paleo meal. And then you have lunch and you have a salad with some chicken. Again, you won't drop below that critical pH. So by not eating and by eating the right foods, that Stefan curve will be flat and it'll have fewer dips. Every time you see a dip in the day, that left to right from, let's say, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., your teeth are demineralizing and your body has to try and remineralize them. And trust me, remineralizing is a little bit more difficult than demineralizing. And if it, the frequency of demineralization is very frequent during the day, that equilibrium is tipped to the point where you're going to get a cavity within a year or two. I'm going to give you some timing on how quickly cavities form. So anyway, so that Stefan curve to me is very interesting because it breaks down how cavities form graphically over a period of time. It's a wearing down, not of the tooth, yes, of the tooth, but it's the wearing down of the system that protects the tooth from these acid attacks. And that is it disrupts 
and weights the equilibrium towards the demineralization side of the equilibrium. So your teeth are demineralizing quicker than they are remineralizing. That's how cavities form. It isn't just a cavity that's a tooth that is slowly forming a cavity and a linear progression towards getting that hole in the tooth. It's an up-down, up-down kind of graph or curve, and it takes time, and it's a slow wearing down and beating up of the system that the body is able to fix itself. And we do that with the modern diet, frequent snacking, dry mouth, acidic drinks, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll try and wrap up with some solutions. So that's the Stefan curve. And I hope you found that interesting. That's not a typical explanation you're going to get on how cavities form. Next, we're going to talk about demineralization, the whole process of how cavities form. We'll follow up with remineralization, and then I'll wrap all of this up. All right, so let me set the stage now for demineralization, the beginning of the formation of a cavity in a tooth. So enamel structure, hardest substance in the body, it's amazing how it's formed, the enamel organ, all of that, fascinating. Enamel's essentially composed of 96% inorganic material, hard things, inanimate hard things like calcium, essentially. There's some water in there, 3%, there's some organic material. Dentin is a little different, it's softer. I think it's about 50% inorganic material, maybe a little bit more, and it has a lot of collagen in it. But let's talk about enamel for now. The inorganic component is essentially, it consists of very tightly packed calcium hydroxyapatite. Again, when I say calcium in the tooth, it's hydroxyapatite crystalline structure. I think I mentioned that earlier. It's phosphates, calcium, and that little OH group on the end. And it forms in kind of a rod, they call it rod inner rod formation. Think the irony, a good way to picture this is your toothbrush. Think of a very densely packed nylon bristles on the end of your toothbrush, and then with a hard surface on the outside. That's essentially enamel formation. That's what, if you take a cross-section of enamel, it looks like these little rods, or if you go with the analogy, these nylon circular rods of nylon, that is how enamel looks. It's prismatic and it has these enamel rods that run perpendicular to the dentin portion of the tooth. So it's not just like concrete. It has these little rod inner rod formations and there's space in between those rods. It's a porous diffusible space and it's created between these crystal interfaces. And that's why we get this prismatic effect with teeth. When dentists are working with color and matching composites and, and zirconia and crowns to teeth, it's a very complicated process because teeth are not just one color. They exhibit kind of a characteristic where they can change color. There's a name for that in dentistry. So that's kind of a little background on why your dentist should be spending a lot of time matching under different lighting and from different angles. It also has a lot to do with how the tooth whitens given all the different methods that we have in dentistry. Anyway, so, and in that diffusible space, there are inorganic materials, but only 3%. In dentin, that diffusible space, and they don't have rods, dentin doesn't have rods. It's more like a bone structure, porous, but there are nerve endings in there and also collagen, lots of collagen. Anyway, so a cavity is the result of a continuous process and continuous meaning not constant, it's a repeated challenge of low pH on the tooth. So it's kind of like in a multiple attacks. And if they come in 
hard enough and often enough, the defense systems, the remineralization side of the equilibrium is worn down. And so that's how cavities occur. Again, think of that Stefan curve. It's a process of up and down, up and down, acid, literally acid attacks continuously or not continuously. Uh, prefer the latter, of course. So again, so this lesion, again, in dentistry, we call these holes lesions. This cavity develops when the equilibrium shifts towards the demineralization side. You've heard me say this before. When you're more on the demineralization side of the seesaw or the equilibrium, you're in trouble. The tooth is slowly going to break down. And this is the natural destructive process of hydroxyapatite crystals, acid. It literally dissolves the calcium, the phosphate, the hydroxy radical. It just breaks it down. It dissolves into liquid, into the saliva, and it goes back into the saliva. There's plenty of hydroxyapatite in saliva, assuming you're healthy, and minerals. And that's where when the tooth wants to remineralize, it's going to grab those building blocks from. So it just, it's like a, what is it? Not an equilibrium. They call that with cells. It's a, it is an equilibrium. It's between cell walls. And a lot of it occurs via positive and negative charges. And these minerals kind of balance all that out, but it also is regulated by pH. So again, if the pH in your body drops, your cells won't work well either because that equilibrium of passing food, foodstuffs, nutrients across the cell membrane, otherwise known as diffusion, is not efficient and sometimes a one-way street. So anyway, that's how demineralization occurs. It is impacted by the pH of the surrounding environment. Saliva, plaque, biofilm, let's call it biofilm, is not enough to protect the tooth in those acidic environments. Organic acids produced by metabolic microbial action. That's what I'm describing here. And based on a diet of processed carbohydrates. If you're going to eat a raw carrot, this doesn't happen. There's nothing for the bacteria to consume, and so you don't get the acid attacks. Critical pH. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So critical pH is where the tipping point occurs. In other words, where the tooth can no longer keep its shape because it's being dissolved. That's when demineralization occurs. And in enamel, it's 5.5. A decrease in pH in the biofilm and saliva begins the acid attack. It's causing an imbalance in the equilibrium of ions, Winthin hydroxyapatite crystals, and their supersaturated content in saliva. In other words, that equilibrium of charged particles, mostly minerals, calcium, phosphate, boron is involved as well. And they're kind of going through different states and phases. And everything is stable when you're close to a pH of 7. Things are destabilized when you are on the acidic side of the equation. So this loss of two structures, the beginning of the decalcification process, and if not interrupted or reversed, more on that later, it results in the beginning stages of lesion formation, cavity formation. By the way, I forgot to mention that the critical pH for dentin, as you would think, is higher because there's less calcium in there. In other words, it takes less acid to dissolve dentin. And that is a pH of 6.2 to 6.4. How long does a cavity take to form? So if it's a smooth surface cavity, in other words, it's the smooth surface of the tooth, there are no grooves or indentation, little areas that can accelerate the cavity by allowing bacteria to collect in that one area so that the demineralization effect is concentrated. The acid attack, think of an acid attack as like a oil rig. It's drilling, it's pounding down into the soil 
and it's trying to get to that big oil deposit. And if it's concentrated in one area, it's going to go a lot quicker. If it happens kind of indiscriminately and not in a concentrated area, it's going to take longer. So a smooth surface cavity, this would be in between teeth on the side of a tooth, typically would take 18 months to four years. Now, if you have a cavity forming in a groove, the invaginating occlusal grooves, these are the grooves that you see on top of your teeth, on your chewing surfaces, it's a whole different ballgame because those grooves actually can invaginate. They can open up a little bit. Once the bacteria get in there, they're protected. The acid attacks are very concentrated. I've seen grooves become carious start exhibiting the decay in a matter of months in certain cases. Those would be extreme cases, but definitely accelerated. So anyway, I hope that kind of gives you an idea of what demineralization is, basically the formation of a cavity. All right, so let's talk about enamel remineralization. And again, demineralization, remineralization occurs with dentin. I'm just sticking with enamel. That is the first layer that is compromised when a cavity occurs. You can have exposed areas of dentin. If you have a lot of gum recession, if your teeth are very sensitive, that means that your dentin is exposed to the kind of outside environment. It's not covered by gums necessarily, by your gums. So you can have direct demineralization of dentin. And I don't want to get too deep into all that. I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. And certainly we can talk more about that. A dentinal sensitivity, demineralization at the gum line is all very, very fascinating. By the way, okay, here comes another rabbit hole. When I talked earlier about the how enamels form, those little enamel rods, the enamel rods become more porous at the dentino-enamel junction. What that means, and it explains a lot, is that enamel is hardest up around the incisal edges of the teeth and the mid part of the tooth. But as the enamel thins and gets closer to the dentin portion, which is closer to the gum, that's called the junction between enamel and dentin, that Enamel has a different structure. It's more porous. And hence, that's why when you grind your teeth a lot, the enamel chips off and you get those little indents, those areas that are very sensitive. So anyway, see how easily I can go down that rabbit hole on dentin. We'll, we'll talk about that at some other time. So let's talk about enamel remineralization, the beauty of the oral microbiome and the oral environment and how it can always fix itself. So remineralization of enamel, it's a natural process. It happens after every single meal in some mouths better than others. We'll talk a little bit about that. Obviously, that's based on diet and saliva, but it happens after every acid attack. When the body senses low pH in the mouth, it does things to fix that, and it wants to put more minerals, more calcium back into those areas that are working their way into becoming cavities. So it's a normal process of the oral cavity, but here's the big clincher. This is a very important point. The process of remineralization is much slower, it takes longer, than enamel demineralization. It needs more time. So think back to that Stefan curve. If you're in a state of demineralization and your mouth can't catch up with remineralization, you are shifting the equilibrium to the point where you're always going to get a cavity. Every time you go see a dentist, you're going to have another cavity. That is just the way it works. It takes longer for the body the mouth, the oral microbiome, and the biofilm to remineralize, to fix that demineralization event. So really, even though it's a beautiful system and it's always trying to fix itself, you need to really minimize those demineralization events. 
Remineralization takes longer, unfortunately. So the remineralization process, it relies on a neutral pH. Obviously, again, if you look at the Stefan curve, that's where you'll spend most of your time at that neutral pH if you're not eating, if there are no food events or eating events. So the longer you can stay at that neutral pH, you're in a state of remineralization and you're not in a state of demineralization. So that is a good thing. So remineralization process relies on a neutral pH and is driven by the precipitation of calcium, phosphate ions, boron, hydroxyapatite, and all of that stuff is stored in saliva and in biofilm. And so the saliva is a reservoir for these building blocks to help remineralize teeth. It's kind of like the bones. If you need calcium in your cellular systems very quickly, the body has a system to help pull calcium out of the bones into the blood supply very quickly. This is kind of the same thing, maybe a little cruder. And again, very specialized because the mouth is different. The teeth are different. They're not like bones. They stick out of the body and they're more inanimate, even though they do have a blood supply inside of them. So for the teeth to remineralize, you have to have saliva. Saliva is very, very important. Here's another very important point. The first one was that remineralization takes longer. Saliva quality and quantity, let's focus on quantity, may be the single greatest factor in caries risk. In other words, in your propensity to getting a cavity. And this is why I always tell people to mouth tape at night. Obviously, it's for breathing as well, but make sure you don't have a dry mouth for six hours every day while you're sleeping at night. This is a bad thing. You want to keep that pH in your mouth as neutral as possible. Don't snack too often. I used to be a big snacker. I used to think eating small amounts of food over a greater period of time was the way to go. That's not true. Intermittent fasting is better. Not eating until 10 or 11 o'clock, having maybe a small high-protein meal, and then waiting for dinner, early dinner, six hours before bedtime. That's the way our ancestors ate, and that's the way we should eat today, even though our food supply is not as good. It takes a lot more work to eat like our ancestors. But this is good for the Stefan curve, right? You're less in a state of demineralization, and you're allowing your body to remineralize. You're giving it more time to remineralize. Uh, let me talk a little bit about fluoride. So fluoride topically works. Fluoride in the water really doesn't work. I'm not keen on it. I'm not keen on getting fluoride via toothpaste or varnishes into the mouth because it does get to the brain. But just so we're clear here, fluoride does facilitate remineralization once the pH exceeds 5.5. Once you get past that, just as you cross that on the high side of the 5.5, fluoride will facilitate remineralization. But we only need that because we have a shitty diet. I mean, we really have a crappy diet. And fluoride, unfortunately, causes brain damage. And certainly hydroxyapatite in its nano and micro forms now available in toothpaste can do the same thing. But just saying that for the record. So as the pH of the saliva and biofilm becomes more basic, in other words, the opposite of acidic, this equilibrium between demineralization and remineralization, it shifts in the opposite direction to precipitate free ions of calcium and phosphate back into enamel structure. So these ions, minerals, and it's not just calcium and phosphate. There are other things in there too. I mentioned boron. Boron is actually a very cool mineral and it's pretty essential, not only for teeth, but that's just an example. These have to remain in a state of suspension. They have to be in a dissolved state. And there are certain things in saliva that help that. The minute they crystallize in saliva, 
we've lost the opportunity. If it crystallizes in saliva, it's going to become tartar or calculus. We want it to crystallize on the inner edge of the biofilm right on the two surface and become incorporated into that two structure. So saliva is working on that with proteins. I'm going to end with that, a fascinating aspect of saliva. So the natural process of remineralization, it relies on a certain level of calcium and hydroxyl ions present, other ions. Obviously, these are negatively charged and they are very attracted to the opposite charges in teeth. Various fluoride products, in toothpaste, yes, it can speed up the process. That's controversial, whether it can speed up the process, but why not just include all the necessary biomimetic natural minerals that we want in our teeth in toothpastes and you know chewing gum and other things? That works well. The release of the hydroxyl ions, it helps also regulate pH. So the presence, for example, mineral water. If you have a lot of minerals in mineral water, that makes it more alkaline. Minerals, the presence of minerals helps stabilize pH. So you want these minerals in your saliva. Where do you get it? You get it from your diet. You should be taking a mineral supplement. I add it to my water. I swish with it. Obviously, you ingest these minerals, and that's part of how it gets back into saliva. Saliva and blood are these bodily fluids, and you have to stay well hydrated. If you don't have a lot of blood volume, your heart's working harder, your cardiovascular system's working harder. If you don't have a lot of saliva volume, the whole remineralization, demineralization and other things in the mouth as well are not working in their optimal state. So that is important. What else? I've got a few other things here on my outline. So in addition to storing ions and making them available to the oral microbiome, again, those are all the, the storage of in suspension dissolved minerals in saliva, the saliva also helps initiate and promote remineralization via proteins. And I'm going to name a few here, probably not that important. Statherin, acid, prolinerich, histatins. Let me just single out one of these proteins, the statherin. It's the only salivary protein with the ability, actually the capability to inhibit both primary calcium phosphate precipitation, in other words, crystallization of minerals in saliva. And as I mentioned, that's important. You don't want it to crystallize in the saliva. We've lost that opportunity of laying it down on a decalcifying tooth. So it keeps this protein, keeps the minerals in suspension in saliva. And the other role it has secondary calcium phosphate precipitation, crystal growth, it prevents that as well. So it prevents these minerals from combining together. And this could very well be why you're getting a lot of tartar formation or calculus formation, because your saliva, oral microbiome, and your levels or the ability of your that protein in saliva, the statherin, is not optimal. In other words, you're allowing things to crystallize in your saliva before it's used for remineralization. So again, that's another aspect that if you do have high tartar formation in your mouth, look to the oral microbiome, look to how many dissolved ions are staying in suspension and not crystallizing in saliva. Hope that's not too confusing, but pretty cool, fun fact. How many times have you been told why tartar forms in your mouth? And again, it is an aspect of the oral microbiome. It's an also an aspect of dehydration, drinking a lot of diuretics like coffee and tea. These are all very important aspects when it comes to tartar formation. And that's what you have removed when you come see us twice a year. So I just want to end with this. So there's this
this equilibrium. It takes longer for the tooth to fix itself rather than to break down. We need building blocks and saliva. We need plenty of saliva. Remember, saliva quality and quantity may be the single greatest factor in developing cavities. So quality would be how many minerals are in your saliva and how well hydrated you are. And of course, quantity, that would be how hydration and also dryness. In other words, I've been sitting here talking for 30 minutes and my mouth is drying out a little bit. Same thing with sleeping with your mouth open. These are all factors. And last point again, I've made it before, remineralization takes longer. And that's why I wanted to mention the Stefan curve. So go back, listen to what I said about the Stefan curve, maybe look at the diagram. And I think it'll become very clear that it's not what you eat necessarily in dentistry. I mean, it is systemically in medicine, but when it comes to cavity formation, it's not what you eat. It's how often you eat the food. It's that continual wearing down and attack on the remineralization abilities in the mouth to help fix teeth. Again, slightly different for the mouth. Again, the mouth is very different than the rest of the body. And so things are a little different, even though it's all connected. So anyway, I hope that gives you an idea of how complicated cavity formation really is. And I'm just, this is the tip of the iceberg. There's more to it. I could have talked more about the proteins and other functions that saliva has. But the reason I wanted to talk about this, it gives you an appreciation for the ability of the mouth's ability to repair itself, the teeth specifically, in this case with the remineralization, demineralization equilibrium. And again, how we brush, when we brush. Again, we don't want to brush after a very acidic meal because we're interrupting the remineralization process. Chewing gum would help the remineralization process because we're stabilizing the pH. We're bringing it back up. So a little xylitol gum, chewing on that after a starchy meal would be a good thing. But if you're in there scrubbing away with an abrasive toothbrush or with a soft toothbrush and an abrasive toothpaste, a whitening toothpaste, you're literally preventing the body from laying down calcium in those demineralized areas. So anyway, always think of it in this way. It's this equilibrium. It's dynamic. The teeth are always in a state of demineralized or remineralized. And this is how your thinking should interact with your behavior and your habits. In other words, how often you eat. Uh, I hope this gives you more context. I find it fascinating. And again, I never got this in dental school. It took me decades to figure all this out. And again, a lot of it is because time has passed and understand more about the oral microbiome. Its existence really wasn't uh, around back in dental school. And now it is really it explains so much and it allows us to practice in a functional way upstream, kind of in that prodromal part of disease. In other words, before the cavities form, before the symptoms form. Hope this was of some help. Sorry, I went down some rabbit holes. I really can't help myself. And if you have any questions, please reach out. Check out the Stefan's Curve. I think you'll find it very interesting and hope this gives you a new perspective on how cavities form and allows you or motivates you to work more on not getting cavities. Don't expect to get a cavity every time you see the dentist. That is not a normal thing. This is the number one disease in the world. It is preventable. You have complete control in this regard. You can prevent that 
what we think is a rite of passage, you don't need to go through that. And again, we will not be upset if that happens. We've got plenty of other work to do, gum disease, tooth trauma, educating you as to what needs to be done to prevent decay, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, thanks for listening. I really appreciate your interest in oral health. If you are interested in having a dentist that has this discussion with you, or at least is aware of it, and something I didn't really discuss a lot in this episode, can help you help you remineralize small cavities before diving in with a drill and suction and anesthesia, then you're really going to have to seek out a functional dentist. So go to our directory. We have a directory of functional dentists. This list is, thank goodness, is growing. And we've referred a lot of people, thousands of people to this list. And 99% of the response has been, oh my God, this is life-changing. This is the dentist that I've been looking for all my life. It's been really very gratifying. So go to our directory and they will be happy to see you because they are looking for an enlightened patient as well. It's a great kind of relationship. Go to our directory, askthedentist.com slash directory, and you can have this discussion with your dentist. Hope this helps. Again, thanks for your interest. See you in the next episode. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.